Hi guys and welcome back to another episode of Golden Hour with me Gaia. So for today's episode, I'll be having a really special guest on board with me as well so y'all don't have to just hear me talk the whole time. And before we kickstart the episode, I just wanted to add a trigger warning because the conversations that we'll be having will be majorly revolving around sexual violence assault and harassment which is a very sensitive topic because both of us just wanted to have a really open conversation about it and to let all the men and women out there know that if you're someone that's experiencing something unfortunate like this you guys aren't alone and how we as a community can offer better support and help for our peers who are faced with similar unfortunate circumstances So, without further ado, I'll just be welcoming the guest for today. She's a TED Talk speaker, she's an actress, and she's an advocate for awareness of sexual assault and harassment as well. We have none other than Devika here with us today. This is so exciting. Okay, so the reason why Devika and I decided to have an open conversation about this topic was because um, back when I was in Pali, I met her through an event, and I've been following her on social media ever since, and I find that her journey from then to now is really remarkable because um, there came a point of time where she spoke up about her experiences going through sexual violence and assault which I found was like a really brave move forward because men and women out there who are experiencing similar unfortunate circumstances might be feeling that oh you know I'm alone in this or they might be suffering in silence so when she put out her story it was really like a very affirming feeling that hey if you're in this you're not alone and it was a very brave move forward which I personally found really inspiring and the fact that we've had very genuine conversations over the years I was just like Devika let's do this let's talk about this and she was really on board thank you so much Kaya that means a lot to me okay so um I think we can just get down to the main topic of the day and I think more than raising awareness about sexual assault and harassment I think it's more of no one really teaches you how to deal with the trauma that kind of follows along with it and you know because people who tend to get under these circumstances, we tend to go into this um, bubble of self-shame and there comes a situation where you think that you're the main cause of it all and it leads to a lot of deep-rooted issues that people might have. So how do you think that that can be better tackled? I think the biggest reason why there's a lot of shame attached to it is because nobody is talking about it. So it's important to have uh, awareness on this and also talk about these difficult conversations because that's how you can explore what's really on the spectrum of sexual violence. We navigate the world in a cause and effect chain, if you think about it. I wake up tired today, it's because I slept late last night. So the effect is that I woke up tired, the cause was that I slept late. And that's how we make sense of the world. So a lot of the shame that's rooted in sexual violence, especially for victims who experience sexual violence, is because, firstly, we think we are to be blamed. We think we are the ones who did something to lead somebody on and therefore um, we face the repercussions of our own actions. But that's not the case. We don't ever think the same thing when it comes to like murder. If someone was getting stabbed or getting murdered, we don't think of like the, the victim asking to be yeah, murdered. Yeah, you get what I yeah. mean? So it is a weird situation or exception that people make when it comes to the crime of sexual violence. Um, So when we navigate the world in this cause and effect chain, 
it is easy for victims to also start blaming themselves for it but you shouldn't it's not it's not on you another reason why there's a lot of um shame and blame attached to victims is because of the way the world also sees it that way so when victims open up and share about their experience everyone else instead of trying to empathize with the victims instead of trying to support the victim they are trying to make sense of why it even happened and thinking of whether there were ways they could have prevented it by the victim changing their own choices no i think yes bouncing off that right like i've had instances where i myself have heard people saying oh she was definitely asking for it look at the kind of clothes that she was wearing and i think that's not really fair for women to be accused of certain things because we should be given the liberty to wear what we want and not be judged based off that as well. I think that makes a lot of girls feel very lousy about themselves because they're very easily blamed. They think, "Oh, I was wearing a short skirt. Yes, I was asking for it." Like even though initially you might think my dressing sense should be my preference, but when it comes down to the society's influence, it gets you like double guessing yourself, you know. Mm-hmm. That's the thing I feel a lot of us forget that sexual violence is not about attention seeking behavior. Sexual violence happens because someone chooses to violate somebody else's consent to their own body and to their own sexual experiences. Um when someone chooses to dress a certain way or behave a certain way, that's entirely up to them what they do about it. It's not for anyone else to think of it as an invitation to just go into that person's personal space and think that it's okay for you to harass somebody or to sexually assault somebody. You understand what I mean? Yeah. Like just because we see some someone's door is open or gate is left open, it's not an invitation for any Tom Dick and Harry to go into the house. Yeah, you know, we see true. like an unattended food lying on the table, that's not an invitation for you to go and eat it. Right? So it's the same concept, but this is the biggest misunderstanding that a lot of people have is it really just comes down to consent did this person openly enthusiastically invite you for a sexual initiation if they didn't then that's not consensual and anything that is done without consent is immediately within the range of sexual violence there have been instances where like even surveys have shown that you know when a girl comes out and then tells about her story the people usually say okay you're probably making a big deal out of nothing you know you know you know the man he's you know maybe a very well established person or you know even we have seen in recent cases where like they are really good hard working students so how do you feel about it when people just say oh no you know you're not making a very big deal out of it like it must be chill you know he's such a nice guy he wouldn't have done something like that you know it kind of makes the girl second guessing herself about oh am i making it a big thing when it isn't i think regardless of gender um we are all capable of doing good and bad things but what happens or what's innately flawed about this um this kind of a narrative when we approach it is that you're trying to make it seem like a person who is good at academics a person who is very hard working is not capable of making wrong choices and there in itself lies the issue we are all capable of doing terrible things it's about whether we choose to do them or not and in this case a lot of perpetrators choose to violate somebody else once again irregardless of gender like whether the perpetrator is women or men it doesn't matter um it all just comes down to the fact that in that moment they made the choice to disrespect somebody else's consent or lack thereof and that's how we should judge it 
But it doesn't take away from the fact that they might be a good student. It doesn't take away from the fact that they might be a good son. They might be a hardworking employee. But the two can coexist. I think the reason why people have such a big trouble, I guess, with accepting this reality that good people are capable of doing bad things, very, very bad things, is because you think one can only exist by itself. Good can only exist by mm -hmm. itself and bad can only exist by itself. But that's not true. Every day we see a good example of like, we see several examples of good and bad coexisting at the same time. When we believe this very single-dimensional um, worldview, it forces us to pick a side. Mm. And what that results in is more often than not, we choose the side of the goodness in a person and we refuse to acknowledge the hurt that this good person might have caused somebody else. And there in itself, you are starting a cycle of trauma for the victims of that incident. So it's definitely important for you to believe victims when they share these things, regardless of how good or bad the perpetrator or the alleged perpetrator might be. On that note, right, sometimes when a girl comes out and then, you know, shares about her story willingly and she's like, you know, I want to put this out there, I want to get the perpetrator a punishment or be it man or woman. And um, the guy just says, oh, she's... She's just making a big deal out of nothing. So when it comes down to it, like how do you think people around her should act given that, you know, there's two different sides saying two different sides of the story. The guy being like, hey, no, that's not what happened. And then the girl being like, no, I know I was being put in such a situation. So how can peers help in such a situation? This is a very good question because it's something that happens a lot. And oftentimes there's this debate between do you believe the victim um, or do you believe this guy who might be innocent, right? Yeah. Um, and there's this, you know, logic around it saying that the law will always side with the girl. So no matter how much I say, um, it's not going to be taken under account, you know? <laughs> that's not always true. The law doesn't always side with girls. The law sides with... Um, no, I'm saying that's the prevailing, you know, narrative yeah. that's being driven. Yeah. The law doesn't always support victims once again um, yes there are organizations like the women's charters and all put in place to protect um, women's rights but that in itself also there are areas of improvements that we can see um, but back to your question on what can peers do first of all we need to identify that what we do as a society versus what is required by law is very different as a society um, you don't have to make a stand on <clears throat> whether you believe this guy have done it or not, but you can believe that the victim was traumatized. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah it's a very fine. It's line. a very fine line. And this might thing. be a bit controversial. People might think that I'm being a rape apologist, but that's not the case. I just want to be very, very clear that when we talk about something as severe as um, being sexually assaulted. There are two people involved in that. There is the alleged victim and then there is the alleged perpetrator. Now, have there been situations where um, people were falsely accused of sexual violence? Yes. Have there also been incidents where people were not falsely accused and like, the yes. victim was actually traumatised? Also, yes. So how will we ever know which is the truth, right? A lot of the time, logically speaking, we always want to look for proof. We want to oh, see... Oh, yeah, that's the first thing that yes. we all think of. Yeah, but... 
it's not that straightforward either. You know, the only thing that defines whether a sexual experience was um, sexual violence or a mutually agreed upon experience is the concept of consent. Was consent ever present? Was consent ever revoked at any point? And was the action continued despite being revoked? And it's an intangible concept. The whole thing about consent, it's not like you sign a consent form yeah. before you get involved in sexual experiences. So it might be a bit challenging to prove whether there's consent or not. Um, so I feel like what peers should do is not to, like, it's not about determining whether someone was the perpetrator or not. It's about providing the victims with the support that they need in that moment. Right. If the victims just need you to hold their hand through any legal proceedings, then be there for them. If the victims are feeling a lot of shame and blaming themselves, then remind them that their feelings are valid, that like they are, um, that their experience is real. You just need to be heard and understood. Yeah, just remind them that it's not their fault. You know, it's all about providing the right kind of support that the victims need in that time. And it can be challenging because there are different kind of people and everyone needs support in different ways. So be open to communicate and ask victims what they would need from you and be able to provide that. On the other hand, there's also that whole question of whether perpetrators the people who've been alleged perpetrators or accused of being perpetrators, if they are not perpetrators, if they were falsely accused, then what do we do, right? I feel like there's also a moral obligation for us to hold anyone who's falsely accused somebody else accountable. Because when people, when, say, alleged victims falsely accuse somebody else, um, that is causing a rift in the progress of this entire mm-hmm. thing. Yes. It is making victims in general a lot less credible. And that's going to hurt the cause. That's going to harm the progress in this entire social issue. So accountability is what we also have to take note of. As much as support is important, when there is uh, accountability due, we need to make sure that we hold somebody accountable for their actions. Then we need to be able to step up to that role and be able to really hold people accountable. That does not mean you berate them, that does not mean that you belittle them, that you cancel anybody. It's very different from holding people accountable. It is by reminding this individual, whoever is the person that needs to take accountability, that they have indeed caused severe harm to somebody else and that they would have to pay for it in some ways. There is going to be punishment in some ways. Not all victims want to report, by the way. Some, some victims would rather just let it slide. Um, and that's entirely up to the victim. Because it's not like legal proceedings are very fun to deal with either. Yeah. Sometimes it's a very, very traumatizing experience in itself because you'll be asked all these very insensitive questions, very invasive questions about your sexual um, life, sometimes about what you were wearing, sometimes about the entire incident that has traumatized you, um, forcing you to relive it all over again. So once again, just you know, emphasizing on the point that I made, which was it's all about understanding what victims need in terms of support from us. A lot of us, our first reaction, the moment we hear someone confide in us is to, we need to report this, we need to report this guy. And I understand it's coming from a good place, it's coming from a place of protectiveness, but that's not what the 
victim needs. So always, always prioritize what the victim needs, especially when a victim confides in you. What is it that they would require right now to feel safe again? That should be the top of your priority. I think that was very nicely put. Thank you. And it is quite a sensitive topic because of the whole disagreements between whether mm-hmm. do we believe all yeah. victims or not. But I do feel like the right thing to do is to be fair. Hear the victim out. and just, Of course. Just hear what the person has to say first yes. before we immediately go into that zone where we report the person, report the person. Report either. Like some people no. will report the victim, some people will report the perpetrator. That shouldn't be the focus. The focus is how can we make this person feel safe Comfortable again? and safe. Yeah. Mm. So focus on that. Because if you blame someone for something that they didn't do, that's also a very severe severe allegation, accusation, yeah. and that's going to affect them and traumatize them in other ways. Definitely. So we want to minimize as much trauma as possible. What's already been traumatized is there. We don't want to add on. So be mindful, be responsible in the way that we deal with these things. Um, one thing that I came across when I was um, reading up on this topic was the fact that um, even in Singapore or globally, sexual assault remains as one of the most underreported crimes. And the worst part that I personally felt was that in Singapore, more than 70% of people who have undergone such circumstances actually were attacked or assaulted by people they knew. It's not someone new or like, you know, I went out and this happened to me. It happens with people that you actually know. So I don't know. It's It seems very, very, very disturbing when you know that, you know, 70% of people have suffered this with people that they know and trust. So how would you um, approach this? It's a reality. It's, it is in fact a reality. And even in my own personal case, it was someone that I knew. It was someone that my family trusted. It was an adult who should be aware of what is right and wrong. And why is it that that's usually the case? Is because when we are closer to somebody, we build trust and then we establish a certain relationship. And within the dynamics of those relationships, it is easier for perpetrators to take advantage. And it is confusing for victims to be in that situation because we are exposed to the good and now and this version of them as well. Yeah. And it really makes us think whether are we overthinking it? Are we just overreacting here? Did this really happen? Are you sure that I didn't lead them on? So victims fall into that whole spiral of thoughts because it is someone that they knew and it's someone that they probably have respected, have probably loved. So it's one of those situations where perpetrators know that that's the best way you can get into a person's life and eventually get what they would like to get through taking advantage of people, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Let me put it in another way. Do you realise that we are always like the rudest and (laughs) meanest to our loved ones? Yeah. Like our mom asks us something and then might keep asking us, have you eaten, have you eaten? And sometimes we just... Just pisses you off. Yeah, just Stop asking me the same question you're giving me. And that's because there is that trust and that relationship with them already, right? So, where I'm trying to go with this is that once there is trust, it's a lot easier for us to cross certain lines. Right. And a lot of perpetrators know that. And it's because of this that a lot of perpetrators are not reported as well. Because 
it complicates the relationship that you have with this person. It complicates the relationship other people in your life have with, with this that person. person. And that is also one of the reasons a lot of people walk scot free after committing a crime like well, that. And the thing is, certain times, like if younger men or women have undergone this, right, they don't even realize that it's happened to them until they grow up at a certain age when you realize that oh so doing this is actually inappropriate and then when it, when it's too late for you to like even voice out about it there comes this self-doubt where like oh if i verbalize this right now will anyone gonna believe me because it's mm. like literally maybe a 20 year old girl talking about something that oh happened when she was five and people automatically just go off like you're, you're, you're making this up how can your memory be that good and the adult isn't going to own up to their his, his or her mistake you know so how would you um, advise someone who is like much older who is still dealing with childhood trauma or something that's happened to the person when they are like teenage the thing about trauma is it's different for everyone but what we do know is um, for some people we don't remember a trauma until something triggers it in the future, especially if it's a trauma that's happened in our childhood. Reason being, our brain, when it's experiencing trauma, um, because of the severity of that emotion, um, in order to protect us, sometimes our memories are suppressed. But what suppression means is eventually it can come up. Come up. And that's what happens usually into your 20s that's when you're exposed to more things around the world yeah. in your own relationships and these these events can trigger that memory and that memory can come up and that can be very confusing for like a 20 year old who their entire life never thought that this actually has happened to them yeah. before that moment of realization can be a very debilitating experience because <clears throat> even though it's happened many years ago you cannot deny the feeling of violation that comes up, that surfaces when you realize that you have been abused before or you've been harassed or assaulted before. And my advice to anyone who's going through that is please don't be alone. Lah. Please don't be alone in your struggle. Voice it out. In today's age, there's a lot of support available to us in terms of mental health. And I think the best approach, if you are very unsure on who in your personal life you can reach out to talk about this, the best thing you can do is try to find a counsellor who will be able to guide you through the emotions, the complexities of your emotions that you're experiencing in that moment. Because that would give you a lot of clarity, first of all. Secondly, um, it will also help if you can find other people similar to yourself. Uh, if you can find support groups. Um, those are usually free, so if you can find support groups, you can go and visit people who've experienced similar things and therefore it makes you feel a lot less lonely in the pain and the struggle and the confusion that you go through. Slowly but surely, you will be able to recover. Um, it will never, the, the grief of it or the feeling of injustice will never really go away. But you will learn to adapt, you will learn to manage your life in spite of what has happened um, you just have to be kind and patient with yourself it is unfortunate what happened it should not have happened nobody deserves what has happened to them in that sense um, but we have to think about how do we come out of this how do we not just survive but how do we begin to thrive in our life despite of the misfortunes and the adversities that we've been put through
I think yeah, like what you said, no one deserves it. It's it's, it's just a no go zone, honestly. But um, you know, when you have these experiences, it kind of does take a toll when it comes to you being involved in a romantic relationship, be yeah. it a man or a woman. Like you know, when you're meeting a new person, you're going on a date, and then you I mean it's not a topic that might come up on the first date, but it would be like a very strong hindrance from the man's side or the woman's side to be like, okay, I don't know how I'm going to approach this or how this might take a turn if, you know, things get well and going and they get together, you know, and you might not want to open up to your partner about it. So how would you say people should deal with this when it comes to being in a romantic relationship, like without it being a hindrance or rather, would you say people should open up about it to their partner? What you do with your story, your experience is entirely up to you. I am not of the opinion that everyone should open up about their trauma to their partner, though it would be ideal, but it's not as simple as that. It is a very sensitive um, and very traumatic experience that you you would want to approach with caution, you might want to approach with sensitivity. Um, especially when you start seeing somebody, we have no guarantee that this person would actually be able to support us in the ways mm-hmm. that we would need or would be able to acknowledge that this has happened to us and hold space for us. Pros and cons is if you do open up and the person reacts adversely, the con is that that can further deter you from ever opening up again. Uh, The pro is that then you know this is not a person who can be supportive in your life. Um, yeah, I think that's where it's like a very fine line mm. because where it comes up to a point where like I don't want to talk about it and then if you guy if you guys are up there like quite in a up in a level in a relationship it's gonna be like a so you don't trust me you don't trust me enough to share your story with me and it's like a, it's not I don't trust you I just don't want to share it with you kind of a thing so it becomes a very mm. big dilemma for the for the men or the woman in the relationship you know because it's like. The basis of a relationship is trust for most people. Yeah, correct. Communication. I get that. But that's the thing about trauma is that it's not it's not about it's not for anyone else to dictate how we tell our story. We need to be mindful that trauma has a very big effect on all of us. It impacts us in ways that are not visible. And therefore it can be very easy to overlook how just how life-changing traumatic events can be. If you have a partner who thinks that um, you have a something that you would like to tell them, but you're not able to tell them, and they make it about them, they make it about themselves, um, that could be coming from a place of ego, that could be coming from a place of them not feeling secure in the relationship, to trust that you will open up eventually. Um, then you might want to reevaluate the relationship or you might want to reevaluate how you approach this whole conversation in the relationship. That being said, I don't think whether you're in a relationship or not, whenever you choose to talk about your story, your it's experience, your story to tell. it is your story to tell first of all, but if you do plan to ever open up and confide in someone or share it with people, it is very, very important that you first process what it is that you are going through first. Um, do not rely on relationships to give you the security that you lack in yourself. You need to first 
feel safe and secure within yourself as well. I'm not saying you can't reach out for support. I'm saying that if you're getting into a relationship, just you so need that to feel safe with yourself before yes. you let someone in into that space. Yes. If you're getting into a relationship just for the sake of feeling safer or feeling a sense of security from somebody, then you are latching on because of a need, because of a, a void that you're experiencing within yourself and you're seeking a relationship to fill in that void. And that might be a bit detrimental to yourself as well as the entire relationship. Um, because it threatens, like the moment any time anything happens in that relationship, it threatens that security for you and you might end up overcompensating a lot of things to make that relationship work and you might do things that you particularly would not have done just to make the relationship work. So whether it is sharing your story or getting into a relationship, um, whatever it is that you're doing, it's always so, so, so important that you process your experience and you process how it has impacted you and what are some of your triggers, what are some things that you want to talk about or what are some things you don't want to talk about. Um, Setting boundaries would be a great start. Definitely, yeah, you gotta have boundaries but you gotta be clear. If you are ready to open up and talk to someone about it but you are not fully there yet, you still don't know how you're gonna do it, you need some time to um, figure out the most appropriate way to share your story just let the person you are seeing know hey there is something you should know but it's a traumatic event for me so it's taking me some time to talk about, talk it. about it is it okay if I ask for some time and if you ask this way nobody would have any reason to turn you down the, it's about the uh, way you position it. As it's well. not just about the way you position it. It's just communication. You know, communication doesn't mean you tell them everything. It means you communicate what it is that you are going to do or what it is that is going to happen. What have you made up your mind about? Communicate those things. You don't actually have to tell them what it is if you're not comfortable with it. If you want to, Go ahead. But at the end of the day, it is your experience, it's your trauma. It's entirely up to you how you want to open up about it, who you want to open up about it to. Nobody should force you to open up about an incident that has tremendous impact on your life. That being said, there is no shame to opening up to someone. I have to make that very clear. Okay, just because people might make you feel shameful about it once you open up, it doesn't mean that it's a shameful experience for you. It's not something that you should feel ashamed of because you weren't the one who caused it. You just experienced it, unfortunately. Alright, so just to wrap everything up, I think the main point that Devika and I are trying to drive across firstly is that no one should be going through any form of sexual violence. It's a very, very unfortunate thing to be going through. And today through the podcast, Devika has brought us through a few pointers about how we can deal better with these unforeseen circumstances and how we can possibly build a better support system for ourselves be it in a sense where it's happened to you or a friend or a colleague about how we can you know just hear them out and be there for them through the process and how about how we can you know work towards a society where we stop associating shame with self-blaming 
and bring out the fact that you know there's no shame in opening up because you shouldn't feel ashamed for what happened to you because you didn't cause it you merely experienced it and i think the bottom line here i think even devika would agree is that you being yourself should be fine like the outfit that you wear shouldn't be an invitation for anyone to invade your personal space i think like like the analogy devika put across just now just because the door is open it's not an invitation for anybody to enter and everyone do have um different ways of resolving our own trauma and i think providing the kind of support that they need and hearing them out is key because everyone deserves to be heard and I think Devika put that across really beautifully and I'm really really happy that we had this conversation today. And Devika, thank you so much for taking your time to, you know, come on this podcast and chat with me in the first place. Really appreciate it. And I think um this is a very important conversation that people need to have. And thank you so much for being here because you know you're my first guest on the podcast and I was actually kind of nervous and Thank you so much for being on the podcast really. Thank you so much again. And don't worry about it. You did a good job. You were really really good. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't even tell that you were nervous. So that was great. And uh yeah, I hope you have many more fruitful conversations like this. And we're there. Thank you so much guys for tuning in for this episode and I really hope that this has been one where y'all can learn a thing or two and to everyone that's listening and has gone through similar circumstances just know that you deserve to be heard and I will be dropping in the helplines links and descriptions in the episode description itself so do take a look if you're someone that's looking for any form of support and Thank you so much for tuning into this episode with me guys and I'll see you guys in another episode of Golden Hour with me Gaia.